you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. And uh, thank you, Jarvis. For Come on, Jarvis. Ignite Team Usher right there. It's igniting the faith right now from this pulpit, from this bistro table. Somebody. Um, I, we, we have been in this series, uh, and this is, uh, we have two more weeks in this series. Excited to share with you this morning and, and uh, what God has for us. So we, we are limited in time, and it's not because we want to do injustice to his word, but our theater requires us to be out at a certain point. And so, so that's why we're out of here. And some of you are thinking, Jesus, that we're out of here early. And others of you are like, man, we really want more. We really want more. Hey, wife, would you grab my iPad right there, please? Revelation chapter 21. As we've been in this series, it's, uh, we've been going through the story of the Bible and trying to understand the story in a greater depth, a greater way. Thank you, Jarvis, once again. Come on. <laughs> okay. Uh, he, he doesn't like that. But um, <clears throat> we've been going through this in, in many different ways, and, and uh, we've been talking about creation and how, how the world was in chaos. It was formless, but God brought form to what he wanted to, where he wanted to produce life. And he started producing life. It started producing you and me. And we were created in his image. And we were created to do good works, to honor him, to glorify him, and to what? Subdue the earth, right? Not just to stay in the garden, not just to stay in the holy of holies, but actually leave that place and, and commune with God, but leave that place and go throughout the earth, right? Subduing the earth and bringing the glory of God to the earth, wherever it may be, in the marketplace, in schools, in business sectors, wherever it may be, that the glory of God would start permeating the earth. But then we know what happened just a few chapters, right? The fall of man, tempted. And all of us would have probably fallen, fallen, all of us would have fell. And, and as we fell, we, we were separated from God. We were kicked out of the inner garden, the holy of holies, the holy place where the tree of life dwelt, where we could walk with God in the cool of the evening, where we had access with God, where we could understand him and be known and fully known in that moment. And it was all separated. And then we see through chapter 3 through 11, just man falling in the depravity of man, falling in such a way that we realized there was no way to get back to God, was there? There was no way to get back to God. We tried. We, we worked really hard. And God ended up wiping a people away, preserving a righteous family. And they, too, fell short of the glory of God reminds us of Romans 3:23. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. Everybody say we all, we all. fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God and and we know in this moment that that it was bad and but God chose not just a a family but now he was choosing a people and he chose the people of Israel. And throughout the Hebrew scriptures as we read, we read about Israel, we read about their life and how they lived, and they had some good times, and they had some bad times, right? There, there, was, there was some great kings, and there were some bad kings. But eventually, Israel couldn't fully hold up to becoming righteous in a way that would put them into the garden and into this life and communion back with God. So God sent his son, Jesus, 
born of a woman because the woman, right, was going to fulfill the prophecy that there would be an offspring of her who would crush the serpent's head, but at the same time, he himself would be crushed. And he would give his life as a ransom. He would give his life as an atonement, as the ultimate sacrifice, as only he was fit to do by being the son of God without blemish. He gave his life. He died on the cross. But three days later, by the power of God, he rose from the grave. And new creation started taking place. New creation that, that the, the hopeless life and this life of striving and works-based and laws and following the law and the letter of the law, it was being done away with, with by the grace and mercy of Jesus. And because he conquered the grave, he gave the ability for all who believed in him have life and life to the full. Life and life abundantly. New life. Nicodemus, remember he, in John chapter 3, he comes across Jesus and he goes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, you must be born again, meaning you must be made all new. And this is what happens to us who place faith in Jesus. And we read in, in Revelation 21, we read this moment at the very end, the conclusion of this book. Now, here's a little study tip. Maybe you're in university or college. I'm in seminary right now. A little study tip is always read the first chapter and the last chapter of a book. If you don't read anything else, just read the first and last, and it'll give you the idea of what the book is all about. And everything in between, you know, those are all details. Read the first and last chapter, and that's what we did. We read Genesis 1, and now we're going to read Revelation 21, verse 1. It says this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You see, this parallel from the beginning was this way, and then we moved and we fell, but Jesus was lifted up, and he was glorified, and we see it coming once again, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. And he who seated on the throne said, sorry, Sean, I may not have that, said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payments. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What an epic conclusion to the story, to the narrative of the Bible. This victory that we have, and it lets us rest in quotes like this, what St. Augustine said, love God and do whatever you please. 
Love God and do whatever you please. You see, God has the victory. Just love him and go about living your life. And out of that life, you see God moving in great ways. And yet, we read Revelation 21 and all this goodness and all this grace and all these moments. But why do we still have tears for those who have been born again this morning? Why do we mourn? And why is there pain in our bodies? Vicky tweets her back this morning and we laid hands on her and prayed for her. Why is there still pain and discomfort? Why are these moments happening? It's because we live in this paradoxical journey in this world of the now and not yet. The now and not yet. Craig Bartholomew and the drama of scripture says this. I'm going to read it to you. The goal of God's redemptive work is to restore his creation from the effects of sin on it. In his death, Jesus has conquered sin. And in his resurrection, he has inaugurated a new era of salvation and recovery. The kingdom banquet is ready to be enjoyed, but it is, does not begin just yet. More peoples must first be gathered to the banquet table so that they too may taste of the renewing power of the coming age. This in-between time after Jesus' first coming and before he comes again is a time of mission for the exalted Christ, the Spirit, and the church. We're in this moment of the now and not yet where, where we, it's like you only see partially. You, you know, like a newborn baby that's born. They, they see a little blurred, don't they? Dr. Russ, I think that may be true. He's an optometrist, so I didn't fact check this. Just ask him everything I say wrong this morning. He'll fact check. But, um, but a newborn baby, right, they can only see so much. They can see light and dark, but they can't make out shapes. They can't make out figures. It, it's like they can't quite see. And, and this is, we're reminded of this in 1 Corinthians 13, right? It says when we look into a mirror, like we dimly see, it's like a foggy mirror where we see partially of the fullness of the kingdom, but we don't fully see or fully know. And how many of you know that can be frustrating? Yet yeah, I'm the only one. Okay, it, it can be frustrating at times. It can be a journey at times. It can be, it can be just not fun at times. But it's also a journey of falling more in love with him and getting to know him better. The now and not yet actually draws us into his very presence, into relationship. Have you found that to be true? Like you don't fully know your spouse or that girl, you know, you're dating, right? You don't fully know them. You haven't fully known all about them. And yet it draws you to them. You move with a curiosity of who are they? What do they like? What do they act like? What's their personality? What's their makeup? What makes them laugh? When, what makes them, what do they enjoy? This is what the now and not yet kingdom is all about. It draws us into this mystery of relationship, and we get to know Father God in a greater way, a greater sense. We get to know what his delight is. And having his eyes to see, you see, the now and not yet brings about a love of God and a love for his people. A love for his people. Now, why a love for his people? Because we're burdened. As Bartholomew said, we're burdened for those who do not know yet. 
We are burdened for those who are not at the table yet. The interesting thing about uh, the way we do church since the Reformation, the communion table moved from the center of the room to the stage. And there it became a message proclaimed and preached from the stage. But, but for generations, the communion table was in the center. And you would all gather there. And you would all look at each other face to face. And you would all share. And if one wasn't there, you would know even more so. If one wasn't there, you would be able to see it. And it would also realize that, man, we need a seat available for those who aren't here yet. Everybody look to your left. Look to your right. There's seats available. There's seats available. And the people in the seats next to you have a name, and they have purpose, and they're made in the image of God Almighty. We made it to the banquet table today. I know it doesn't look like it, but the church is gathered today. We're gathered today, and I'm so excited for that. The second paradox that we see in this new creation is to live, you must die. To live, you must die. What? Who wants to die today? Okay, that would be weird. We'd have to have a conversation about that. But if you were spiritually raising your hand, then I spiritually understand. So Jesus, what he did when he lived on earth, he taught us how to die well. This is what Jesus did. A lot of his ministry, as he's ushering in the kingdom, he's talking to us about how to die well. And dying well, we join in his redemptive plan for us and for this earth. Matthew 16, Jesus says this, as he's looking at his disciples, looking at you and me, he would still say this today, for his word is true today to us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. New creation is all about dying to your self-ambitions. Dying to your self-ambitions. Dying to the, the things that you want to prop up. We all ask these good questions. Like, where should I work? Who should I marry? Where should I live? Where should we raise our children? Where should we do this or that? These are good questions, but I want to maybe present a better question in these semantics in this context. Maybe some better questions would be, how should I work? How should I do marriage? How should I live on mission? You see, where is great, but where is a destination constantly trying to search out for this mysterious unicorn? And that's what oftentimes people do is they, they think that if they go here or go there, that it's going to bring about this, this, this pleasing thing. But if you just live on purpose and live kingdom where you are, then God can do some great things through you. You see, a lot of us want to look at the destination because we don't want to die. But if you die where you are, God, how should I love my spouse? 
teach me, show me, I embrace it. How should I raise my children? I'm listening to you. I'm patient. I'm going to die to my self-interest. How should I run my business? Teach me. Not where should I start another business. How should I run the business that I already have? Can we be faithful with God? What God's put in our hands and walk that out? Watch what God does for it. Who should I marry? Why don't you ask this question? How should I act even though I'm not married today? How should I live even in my singleness? How should I honor God and advance his kingdom and live in this new creation world, this now and not yet world? How should I do that? The disciples, when they were asking to pray, they weren't asking, where should I pray? They were asking, Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me to pray because that's what I need to know because that's the power. And when you know how to pray, you can do it anywhere you go. This is what God wants for us. The the third paradox that we see is this. Pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. I want to pray for the people I like, the people that I love. Not the people that have stabbed me in the back. Not the people that are, that are looking to get at me. And yet in Acts chapter 7, we are, there's a model here of Stephen. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. He was a deacon chosen in the book of Acts. And in this moment, there was a blasphemous case brought up against him much like Jesus. Much like Jesus. The thing about the gospel, it's so controversial, oftentimes you'll be accused, right, from other people. What do you mean? Eternal life from grace and receiving. I have to work, don't I? I have to do something. But Stephen's presenting the gospel, and there they are, stoning him. He's outside of the city, and he says this. In verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen, gazed into heaven as he was being stoned, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And in verse 59, and they stoned Stephen Stephen, as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. When he had said this, he fell asleep. What a great irony to pray for those who are persecuting you. Isn't that what the Bible says? Isn't that what we see? What I love about the the Bible and the story of the Bible, we get a lot of descriptives. We see Stephen's life, and that's the descriptive on how to behave and how to act in this moment. And, and, And he's saying, pray for your enemies. We see this with Jesus, right, when he's on the cross and he's being hung. What does he say? Forgive them. Forgive them. What a hard paradox. What about you? Are you, do you have any ill will towards anyone? Is there anybody who's offended you? Has there been anybody who's come against you? 
What has been your talk towards them? What has been your prayer? What has God moved you into? How has he moved? You see, the enemy's great, great artillery is to make you mute. He wants to silence your voice. I think about this with anxiety on the, raise, on the rise in our nation. The louder the anxiety and the louder it is in our mind, the harder it is to speak. The harder it is to declare. The harder it is to speak life. The enemy's coming to make you mute. The enemy's constantly coming against prayer and Bible reading, right? Constantly coming against it. And we know the, the controversial state of, of Madeline Murray O'Hare and the Supreme Court decision, right, to stop prayer and Bible reading in schools in 1963. This woman who's an atheist, who was vividly hatred towards Christians, out against them to mute them, to silence them, right, came up all the way into the Supreme Court to silence their voice, to silence the reading of the word and prayers in schools. But what irony that you have this atheistic woman full of hatred as she raised her son, and yet it was her son who gave his life to Jesus, Bill Murray, and he was found by Christ, and he started praying for his mom and started praying for his family. You see, this is what happens. Ironies happen all the time. When, God, when the enemy tries to silence a voice, God will rise up a voice from somewhere else. Right? It's like the rocks will cry out. Someone will come from the wilderness like John the Baptist. Someone will come out and declare the name of the Lord for the name of the Lord is great and to be praised. God is great to be praised. He is going to be declared. Faith is not private. Godly faith is inviting people with eyes of love, with a heart of love to bring them to the banquet table. Not to hoard food, but to share food. To share conversation. To love one another. The last point is living for eternity. And this is a paradox. Because a lot of us want to live for the now and not for eternity. The opposite, the ironic life of a Christian is we don't live for the here and now. We live for the eternal glory of God. And we bring the eternal glory of God, the heaven to earth, and declare it to others. This is what God has called us to do. In Hebrews 11:6, we read about this resurrection faith that allows us to live for eternity. and says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It was this resurrection faith, this faith lived out, this faith of the gospel, this faith of love that was lived out. And through that faith, others came to know how great our God is, how loving God is, how gracious he is, how patient he is, how his loving kindness never ceases how he's faithful to the ends of the day. He will continue his promise, and he will keep moving forward. And so we go with resurrection faith. We don't believe in a God who's dead. We don't believe in Buddha. 
We don't believe in Muhammad. We don't believe in somebody who ceased. We believe in a God who's alive, who's living, a Jesus who's sitting on the throne at the right hand of God, who's declaring to us, keep going. You can make it. You're at the table. Would you dine with me? Would you enjoy me? Would you enjoy my presence? New creation. New creation living. This is what he's called us to. If you would, and if you're able, stand on your feet this morning. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this. If I'm sure of anything else, those who place faith in Jesus, I'm sure of this, that he'll see it through to completion. Don't give up on God because he has not given up on you. He sees you. He knows your story. He knows what you're going through. He knows what keeps you up at night. He knows the worries and anxieties and the fears that loom. But God wants to come beside you as a good, good father and to walk you through your pain. I want to pray for you this morning. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. St. Augustine. Love God and do whatever you please. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. The one who loves God will walk this in-between life, the now and not yet, in a way that honors him. Your life was made for honor honor him. Watch what he will do in and through your life. Father, thank you so much for your church this morning. Lord, what an incredible morning. An incredible morning to read your word, to hear your heart, to encourage your people. Thank you for encouraging us affirming us where we need affirmation in you, Jesus, correcting us where we need correction, and moving us to a life well lived in honor to you. Be glorified. Touch hearts this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Yeah, let's give God a big hand real quick. Before you leave this morning, I want to really, we skipped our MC announcement moment. There's a QR code right behind me that's going to pop up in just a moment. And that QR code is a way to connect, give, get involved, share prayer requests with. It has everything that you need pertaining to our church. And so if you would, you can pull out your phone. You can scan that QR code right now. And it'll be up here for a few more minutes. And then I also want to let you know that we are taking a trip to Baja, Mexico over December for five days. Yeah. Yeah. And this trip is not a vacation. It's a mission trip to build a home for somebody who doesn't have a home. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. And not only will a life be changed there, but your life will be changed in the process. 
So I want to encourage you to go. I think the deadline to sign up is in a couple weeks, so pray about whether you should go or not. And if you're able to go, we would love to have you. And then lastly, before you leave, we have a couple of elders up here at the light poles. If you need prayer for anything, you believe in God for something, and maybe it just hasn't come to fruition, come get prayer this morning. We'd love to, be, we'd love to pray with you. We love you, Luminous. Congratulations, Pastor Edgar. Go write a note. Go grab a cupcake. We love you. Be blessed. We'll see you next Sunday.